All right, so ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. We're back here again with Terry Lynn and Travis Marziani. And today we're going to go off a tangent and talk about nine movies every entrepreneur should watch. Uh, we kind of came up with this topic on the fly this week since we didn't really prepare anything, but kind of go off a little tangent, have some fun, and we're going to talk about some movies that have had a big impact on us becoming entrepreneurs and maybe they're for you with the holiday season if you got nothing to do to put on a flick and to kill some time. So before we start, uh, updates as usual. So Travis, what's going on with you, man? I'm still working on the site. I'm looking at making it more responsive for mobile. And I'm also making it right now where our big selling selling point, once again, is, you know, lots of colors. And right now we have little swatches that people can click on to see the different colors. What I'm doing is I'm changing it. So when they click on that little color, it actually changes the color of the item. So if you're looking at a pair of dance pants, for instance, instead of clicking on a swatch and seeing a picture of fabric, you'll see a picture of those pants in the color that you want. So that's one of the big things I'm working on. Yeah, speaking of mobile, I was listening to the Andreessen Horowitz podcast, and they were talking about mobile. Like, to put a perspective on it, you're like the computers when they came out in the 60s and 70s. There were these huge mainframe computers. Only guys like IBM, Cisco, or whatever big companies can afford it, right? And the next wave, you had kind of PCs, uh, laptops, where kind of companies bought it, individuals, and then families. And if you look at mobile, it's actually the first thing where in like 10 years, really 70 to 80% of the world will have a smartphone in their hands. And when you think about that impact, like how does that change commerce, uh, relationships, you know, government, communications, things like that. And I think a lot of people now, like even myself, like, yeah, we know mobile, but it's kind of like a thing on the back of our head. But when you think about it in that sense, in that lens, it's like, wow, it's actually going to be really game changing in the next 10, 15 years too. Yeah, absolutely. Our site is not mobile optimized at all. And we still get 25% of the traffic uh, of our traffic coming from mobile. So I know that once we turn it mobile, Google's more likely to put your rank up a little bit higher if it can tell that, hey, this is actually going to look good on a device. So it'll be interesting to see how it influences conversion rates and our traffic numbers. Our mobile, there is a Volusion option that's mobile friendly and it's awful. But they recently came out with these new responsive templates. So this is the big reason why it's like, all right, it's finally time to go mobile. So I'm excited to see how that works. So how about you? Uh, I read another book this week, uh, All Marketers Are Liars, a kind of an old school book by Seth Godin because I've been working on this laptop sleeve prototype and I started volunteering at Animal Shelter and I was thinking, you know, how do I combine kind of both of these business models? Because one thing I realized was that at Animal Rescue slash shelter, uh, all of it is volunteer driven. As much as they can do is is driven by donations too. So it's like, how can you build a business that's kind of tying into the social good too with kind of a long-term sustainable uh, cash flow for these shelters that need help? So this is something that's been on my mind. And one thing I realized in reading this book was really that, like, how do you build a story that's worth talking about is the hard part rather than actually manufacturing leather sleeves, dance pants, or whatever, right? Because ideally it's pretty simple, but it's like, how do you get people to talk about it? And you have to do that by tacking on a story too. So that's something I'm figuring out and just reaching out to other people in this space. And I think, you know, once the prototype's finished, I think this is going to be a Kickstarter because uh, one, sleeves are a little bit bigger and they're more expensive to manufacture. And I think just from an acquisition standpoint, it'll make more sense to kind of have this little thing too. So this, the laptop sleeve, are you going to be selling it to make money just for the charities or are you going to make some money for yourself? Or? I think it'll be a hybrid of both because if you want to make something sustainable, it has to have cash flow to grow, right? And it'll just be kind of a percentage uh, every year. What would make this sleeve different? Uh, each sleeve will be inspired by a certain animal that's in need. Uh, and so basically it's more than a sleeve. It's kind of like a beacon of hope. But I think 
uh, as you carry the sleeve, it'll be kind of more designed for professionals. You put your laptop, you can put meeting notes, papers, your phone charger, things like that. I think the goal is to make it something people will be proud to carry around and to tell people that, hey, you know, I have this sleeve and it helps animals and you should check it out too. But we'll see how this goes though. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Number one, uh, The Matrix. So was this one on your list too? It was, but you know what? I, I'm glad that you took it because there was other ones that were higher up on my list. So why why did you pick The Matrix? When I first saw The Matrix, it was like 1999 when I was in high school. I just thought it was a cool action movie. And then I watched it again on and off like the past probably like three years or so when you see it on TV on replays, you're like, oh, like, you know, there's the whole, you know, unplugging from the system, taking the red pill versus the blue pill, you know, waking up from the dream. And it kind of reminded me of what well, actually it's actually a good analogy of, say, you know, being like a corporate drone, finding your own way in life and doing everything uh, you can as an individual and it's having that freedom to kind of choose what you want in life too and when you look at it again after going down this path it actually makes a lot of sense that what neo does even like the symbolism they have in the movies like the names of the ships like the nebuchadnezzar like kind of very like jesus ish but you know also entrepreneurish you know another part i really like about it is this idea that if you really believe then that's how you can create things in the real world like there's a scene in it where neo's needs to jump across like from one building to another building and they tell him, it's like, look, it, you got to like fully believe that you can do this. If you have any little bit of doubt, you're going to fall. And then there's, oh, there's the other scene with bending the spoon. And it's like, I forget exactly what the quote is, but there's a kid sitting there bending the spoon. And they're like, how do you do this? He's like, you have to realize there is no spoon. And I think it's kind of a really cool idea of a lot of people think that, you know, creating a multi-million dollar business is impossible. It's like, yes, it is. If you feel that way. And that's a lot what the matrix is about in my opinion like you realize a lot of it is in your head and when you do say quit your job start a business like you are creating something from nothing too and i guess there is no spoon because you're the guy that's going to create this food. absolutely i really believe that there is something to this universe this world that you can do some crazy shit if you really put your mind to it like things that other people think is absolutely impossible but 100 percent, like that said you know if you had that little bit of doubt you're, it's hard to do. Yeah, well, the catch-22 is that you have to believe it for it to happen, but you have to believe something that doesn't exist really either, too. So it's like, you know, having faith in yourself, things like that. And All right, so number two, uh, what's your number two movie? Fight Club. Fight Club is an awesome movie. If you have not seen this movie, go download it, buy it, whatever, right now. So the basic plot is it's about this guy who's very unsatisfied with his job and throughout throughout it basically they start a fight club and he meets this guy and they have like a house where they in the basement will go get out all their animal aggression and fight other people and it's all about how basically nowadays in the real world we're kind of caged you know we're really deep down we're all animals yet we're told all right sit in this box for 10 hours a day and everything's very tame but we really deep down have these desires to kind of like unleash and one of my favorite quotes from the movie that completely explains it is, you're not your fucking khakis. And basically, that is the best quote of all time. And it basically says, like, look at all these material things that you're trying to get. That's not you. You're not your fucking khakis. Anyways, basic. And I really, I really identify with that. It's like, we're all kind of brainwashed into like, yeah, we need money. Why? So we can buy things. Well, why? Because that's who, it makes us a better person. It's like, wait a minute, what? 
Yeah, when I first saw this movie, I didn't really understand it. I was like, what is like, why is this guy punching people? Why is he punching himself? And then like they end up doing like anarchist stuff. Like they blow up like a credit card building because they want to restart kind of like humanity or something like that. And then after that, after a few years, when I matured a little bit, I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. Like I get the deeper meaning at first because when you first watch it when you're like in your t- early 20s you're like, you're like what is this like okay this looks kind of cool it looks like brad pitt looks badass in his vintage stuff and it's interesting now when you look at that like the, you look at like the contrast and there's like what he wore in the movie and what edward norton wore like edward norton was like the kind of cubicle guy he wore very safe clothes like khaki pants blue shirt and like regular dress shoes but then brad pitt had this crazy kind of like flair to him and those vintage stuff which basically stuff that is like very anti-corporate kind of message right and when you see the contrast which is even funnier when you realize that he's just like a figment in his, in his imagination like he was crazy like it makes a lot more sense after you watch it a few years later there's another scene from it i really like too where tyler durden takes some guy that's working at some convenience store and takes him out back and basically says you know i'm gonna kill you right now and at the last second like takes his id and says all right well now i know who you are i'll give you a deal i'm gonna let you go and like, what do you want to do? He's like, well, I want, I think it was like, I want to be a veterinarian. He's like, all right, I'm going to follow up in one year from now. If you're not on your way to being a veterinarian, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. Afterwards, the other guy, I don't remember the, the main character's name, Edward Norton in it. He basically says like, what the hell? Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? He's like, no, that guy is going to have the best day of his life tomorrow. He survives. And I think that it kind of feeds into this whole idea that we're just kind of going about our day and we're all just kind of living a pretty average life. And then something like that happens and it kind of snaps you into it. It's like, holy shit, I'm happy to be alive. There's a lot of little scenes like that that I think are pretty cool. Yeah, when you think about it, it's like a lot of people, it takes a certain crisis for them to realize what they've lost or they could have lost to actually get their life in order. And there was a guy, uh, do you know who Seneca is? Like this uh, old uh, philosopher. So there was a letter he wrote to his friend when he was dying. He was saying like, when you die, well, before you die, like time uh, goes away from you, right? Some moments in time are torn from you, like an accident, uh, you know, freak of nature, things like that. And some other elements of time kind of slowly sleep by you, right? They, they slip away. You can't really grab it. They just kind of go away when you're doing nothing, when you're hanging out and you're wasting time. And, and he was saying that, you know, when you approach death, well, time's already gone, so why should you be scared? What you should be scared is when you're when time's going away and you're not doing anything productive, kind of like what Tyler was doing in the movie to this guy who was working at a convenience store to make him realize that, hey, like, no, you shouldn't be doing this. You should Your real purpose is being a vet. All right, so number three, the movie I have is Office Space. So this movie came out in probably like the mid-90s or something like that. It was a really, really weird movie when I saw it in high school. And it was just a bunch of... It was kind of like what we're going talking about, right? Like kind of cubicle life, but... It had this dry sense of humor, especially like the boss. You remember his name, like uh, Lumberg or something like that? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to need those TPS reports on Saturday. And it was just the, the archetype of him was such like the middle management boss that you fucking hate over time. And like this, a lot of the archetypes, I think, summed up a lot of what people weren't happy about working in an office. And there's one scene, I don't know if you remember, like I think uh, the guy, Michael Bolton, like the white guy, he's really into like gangster rap. And then they take like the they take like the fax machine out to the to the dumpsters and they like step on it, hit it with a baseball bat. And just like the anger they were getting out in that scene was just classic. And I think it's a lot of the same anger a lot of people feel underneath when they're doing something they're not happy about too. You know, that scene in specific, I was gonna mention it. I never really understood it till I got a job and I had to work with we had this one like pretty big printer that I'd have to use sometimes. I wanted to crush it because 
there was always some kind of problem. It was always jammed or something like that. And it, it wasn't until I experienced that that I'm like, okay, I understand what these guys are going through here. Did you actually do that once to a printer? Because some of my friends and I did that once in high school, and it was actually really fun. No, I did not. I wish. Yeah, it was just more like a release, I guess, rather than actually hitting the printer. But it was just like, wow, like, you know, I'm letting all this pent-up anger go. The, the other part of the movie that I really liked is this idea that obviously it's about how much being in an office all day long sucks. And at the end, he kind of goes off and does construction. And it's just like, he's happy because he's just outside where a lot of people would be thinking, oh, I don't want to be outside. I don't want to, you know, have to do hard labor all the time. But it's when you think about it, that's probably more natural to what we would do as humans than sitting down for eight to 10 hours straight, staring at a screen that's about, you know, a foot away. Like he works in construction then, but that symbolically isn't like the end goal for everyone too. Like and all of us are trying to build the business. We're not trying to be construction workers. Not that there's anything bad with that, but it was just an interesting thing that he chose such a simple path rather than something else too. Right? Cause he could have started a business too, but I don't know why the script, it wouldn't have been a such an ending impactful ending. Yeah. I, th I felt like the, the construction was just kind of like symbolism for freedom. This is like, he's outside, he's moving around. It's the exact opposite of sitting in an office. I think starting a business would be too inspiring of a movie or too inspiring of a, of a move for like a comedy movie. Yeah, exactly. And he's, you can say he's building something too. He's building like a road, parking lot, whatever too. So, all right. So number four, uh, The Road, this is your movie. So I actually haven't seen this. So what's this movie about? The Road is a movie you will probably not see on any other top entrepreneur list or top inspirational list. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend seeing this one too. It's about father and his son in a, living in a post-apocalyptic world. And they never really tell you what happened. There's no zombies. There's nothing like that. It's just something happened. There, there's not enough sun basically to support life on the planet kind of thing. There's not enough food to go around. So there's this father and son and they're struggling to survive. And they're, it's about their story. And it's, it's really captivating. And at, at one point, you know, they encounter cannibals and that's how some people decide to survive in this post-apocalyptic world. And at one point, you know, they're just, they have to fight for their lives because there's like a piece of bread over there. The reason I chose this movie is anytime I think that, oh, you know, my life's kind of shitty and, oh, you know, if I do this then some really bad things can happen, I think no matter what happens in my life, it's better than living this movie. And it sounds weird, but basically to me, there's nothing ever that could happen in my life that's going to make my life as bad as it would be to live in this movie. This idea of this like whole post-apocalyptic world, it's not impossible. I mean, this idea that something happens, there's some kind of like nuclear winter or something like that, and life is not able to be supported on this planet. Anytime something goes bad, anytime that there's a negative experience in my life, it's not as bad as living in this movie. Yeah. All right. So number five, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness. So this movie came out I think in the 2000s, I didn't watch it until probably like a couple of years ago. And the story goes about this guy, Chris Gardner. I think he was like a guy who became a stockbroker. But before that, he was homeless for a year with his son. And I think Will Smith and his actual son plays him in this movie. And in the movie, he's basically this guy who has a bad investment. And he's trying to become this kind of entrepreneur slash sales guy at a big company to kind of get his life back in order. And there was one scene that was really powerful. I think there were... They didn't have anywhere to sleep, so they went to a subway. And so he laid out all his papers on the floor for his son to sleep on. Uh, and then there was a guy knocking on the door in the subway, you know, trying to use the bathroom. But his son was sleeping, so he covers his son's ears so he doesn't wake up. 
and like he starts crying and i was like wow that's such a powerful scene that he would go through all this crap just to like find success and i think for me that was like like even though it was a fake movie it was like wow the way that scene was shot it was just so beautiful and is like, of course will smith is a great actor too and that's probably one of my favorite parts of that but movie. it's based on a true story right yeah so the guy actually shows up in the end i don't know if you've seen that movie in the end uh, when he gets a job, he walks by this other black guy, and he's basically like the real gardener uh, they were playing off of. And it's kind of interesting, too, how uh, kind of like, because I guess when it happened in the 80s, the real story, so dynamics were a little bit different, too. Like was, I think it happened in like 1982 and all that stuff. There's another scene where they're waiting. It's him and his son, and he's in a suit, and they're waiting to like stay in a shelter for the night. And all the other bums are wearing bum-like clothing. They're giving them a hard time. Like, look at you in your suit. Like, you know, you, you, what, what's the deal? You shouldn't be able to stay here. And it's crazy because that's something you can imagine happening. And realistically, it's like the person that should get to stay there is the person that's wearing that suit. The person that's actually like trying to do something where you have all these other people that are just like, no, I just want a free place to stay. Exactly. Yeah. The contrast of how the different people that were there too. And there was one scene too, I think, he was out of money, I think, or one of his bosses were out of money, and then he's like, hey, do you have five bucks to tip this cab? And you can see him, his face, like he only had $20 in his wallet, and he gave the guy $5, but then the boss gave it back in the end, and I was like, oh, that's, that's so cool. Well, actually, there's one more of my favorite scenes, and this really speaks to me as the entrepreneur, where he's working at the, uh, working as an intern, doing, I think, like cold calling, basically. And what he figured out is when he's done with the call, instead of hanging up the phone, he just would use his finger to hang up the phone and then call the next number, which would save him a second or two per call. But that added up so he could get more calls. And I really love that mentality of like every little bit counts. Like how can you become more efficient? Where you'd see everyone else in the office hanging up the phone, kind of taking a second or two, thinking of the number. He had all the numbers ready. He would just hit the hit the thing, the button to hang up the phone and then dial the next number. And I love that. It's just like, let's see how we can do this better than other people. Yeah, I think the, the story was that he wanted to call 200 people a day. So say you're working 10 hours, that's 20 calls an hour three minutes per call basically right so everything matters too and i used to do cold calls too it was really easy to just be like oh yeah i'll hang up you know i'll sit around for a minute i'll look at my list and pretend to dial or i'll wait you know i'll drink a coffee like it's so easy to just delay everything because of the resistance and i think especially like cold calling man it's a brutal industry and to do that have that drive it's really really admirable so next movie, number six, uh, Goodfellas slash Scarface. This one's yours. Yes. So Goodfellas, they're, they're both fairly similar in the idea of they're kind of mafioso, but I'll start with Goodfellas. And Goodfellas for a long time was my favorite movie. And it's really about this guy that comes from nothing and kind of works his way up in the mob world. But at the same time, it's also just a badass movie. So it's a great great movie to watch but i really like how he's building himself up from this little kid that helps like park the cars of the mafia bosses to doing these bigger deals and it kind of shows some like flashiness and some wealth but same thing with scarface and for those that don't know scarface is another guy he was an immigrant from cuba i believe who starts like a cocaine empire in miami and his big famous quote was first you get the money then you get the power and then you get the women. And I've always thought that's just a great quote because it's basically saying like, hey, we're going to work really hard. We're going to get this money. And then everything else is just kind of fall in line. And I think for the entrepreneur out there, 
it's kind of inspiring. I think the drive is inspiring, but he dies at the end, right? Yeah, well, but that's why I don't sell cocaine. <laughs> that's why. That's why you're selling that's dance why pants I sell dance clothing. <laughs> I, I don't think there's gonna be a bunch of armed, uh, you know, gangsters coming and attacking me. Give me all your red tank tops and everything, or I'll shoot everyone here. Yeah, that would uh, that'd be an interesting twist to the auto, uh, the biography of Travis Marziani. Kind of a funny twist. So in the e-commerce mafia, every mastermind group we have is named after. A famous mafia movie and it's we actually have goodfellas and scarface so goodfellas is actually the eastern time zone group that you run and scarface is the 25k group that you run too so <laughs> yep. it's kind of a that good is match. true i was really happy when i got goodfellas because like like i said though it's just a well put together movie i like the fact that it kind of shows some of the flashiness that comes with money and you know i don't think that's all that having a business is about but to everybody, there's some part of you that's like, oh, I want to have like nice things. Well, it's a point of pride too, right? Like of success, you want not really to be validated by it completely, but you want people to recognize that you're at a certain level too, right? And maybe those movies take it to a different level, but I think at some point, all of us humans have that need to be validated in some way. So whether it's by our parents, uh, family, things like that, uh, all that kind of stuff too. All right, so number seven, uh, Shawshank Redemption Disease was mine. So I saw this movie probably when I was in high school too, and I didn't really understand it until later when I was older. And you realize like the whole frame of the movie, this guy was framed for killing his wife and supposedly guy uh, he cheated on. He goes into jail, he starts helping the warden, like evade taxes, launder money and all this stuff. And eventually breaks out, I think after 10 years and he meets uh, his good friend Morgan Freeman in Mexico. And I think the movie was a testament to A, like perseverance, uh, kind of determination, and also kind of like friendship too, in terms of like, when you're on a journey, you know, I think he was thrown into this, you know, completely as an innocent guy, but he made the best out of it uh, as he could. And it was just a really interesting perspective how, like, you know, as we become entrepreneurs, the people you meet along the way, like, you know, like you and me, uh, James, who you met recently, all these type of guys where you kind of meet through all these different paths and somehow they all lead to the same destination, which is hopefully, you know, happiness on a beach somewhere in Mexico where you can go fishing. Mm -hmm. I also like the metaphor of, life is kind of like this prison, the normal life of working in an office. Once again, not to bring this up once again, but it's all, you know, like if you really work hard and persevere, kind of like you were saying, you can break out, you can break free for a long. That was actually another one of my movies that for a long time were my favorite movie. That's still one of my biggest fears is like going to prison because it's basically going to prison for something, especially that I didn't do everything, all the impact on the world that you can make has kind of been taken away from you. At least you're not selling cocaine. I don't know. I think I, that's true. <laughs> I would rather, okay, let me, I'd rather sell cocaine than go to prison. Well, you'd, you'd rather sell cocaine and then go to prison. If you're going to go to prison, you might as well sell cocaine, right? Like, I guess. You might as well go, go big yeah, go home. Yeah, right? And then <laughs> I think I'd still rather go out in a blazing fire of glory, but. You know what's funny about this movie? I think when it came out, it was like a complete disaster. And it wasn't until it came out on like DVD that it started to get traction. I think overseas and in the U.S., like at the home DVD video, and now it's like a cult classic now too. So it's kind of it's top IMDb movie. It's like number two or three. Yeah, well, remember when it came out in the nineties? It was it's like what two and a half hours, three hours long. Back then, movies were only like an hour and a half, and I think it went off the theaters really quick, and then it got moved to DVD until people started watching it. Started talking about. It. I guess it's like a good story, you know, kind of vi- old school viral growth. So. Now it's like a cult classic. I think the first time I saw it, it was on TV. And I don't usually watch movies on TV, but like I stopped everything I was doing. I'm like, I need to finish this movie. This is awesome. All right. So uh, number eight, uh, Rocky one to four. This is yours. Yes. Rocky. You talk about just 
plain inspirational stories, a guy coming from nothing and working hard to, well, actually, eventually he gets beat, but that's not the point. He, he goes all the rounds. That's why, you know, I also have Rocky, not just Rocky one, but two, three and four. And funny story, Rocky four in college actually inspired me to do something that I would like, I'm still like amazed that I was able to do. And basically long story short, Rocky four is about this guy, this Italian guy, Rocky, who, you know, he's relatively short and he fights this Soviet union, this giant beast of a man. I will break you. I don't, I'm pretty sure. I I guess I won't spoil it, but anyways, it's Rocky movie. So he can't do too bad. Right. And in, in college, just a really quick story. Basically there was this guy that, kind of bullied me a little bit and he was resembled like an Ivan Drago. He was three, four inches taller than me, just beefed out and like cut up. And in my fraternity, we had this thing called fight night and it was in my fraternity too. And the fight night's like basically just like kind of like a friendly boxing thing, but it's basically for people you have a little bit of a grudge with. So I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of this. I challenge you to fight night. And the month or two leading up to it, everybody told me, don't do it. You're going to get you know, hurt. Like what's wrong with you? But I trained like I was like, you know, I, I enjoy having something to train for. I ended up destroying him. It was s- almost sad. Like I felt bad for this guy. But the cool thing is he never talked shit to me again. So I was like, hey, you, this is what you deserve. But it also kind of elevated my status in the fraternity because it's like, holy shit, don't mess with this guy. You know what was cool about this movie is that I believe Stallone wrote the screenplay himself when he was like literally homeless. And he wouldn't give up the rights to the movie unless he was a star in it too. And actually, that's funny that you say that. It's based on a true story, loosely. The first one is loosely based on a true story. This guy that was a nobody and fought against Muhammad Ali and went every round. And I, in fact, he was the only guy to ever knock down Muhammad Ali. And what happened is after he knocked down Muhammad Ali, his trainer's like, it looks like you just pissed him off as opposed to like, hey, good job. It's like, nope, he looks angry now. But the, the really interesting part about it is Stallone went to him and said, hey, you know, this is based on you. You get some cut of the money. And he told him, you have two options. Either I'll give you $25,000 upfront right now, or I'll give you a percentage of the royalties forever. And the guy chose the $25,000 because he didn't really believe in himself. He didn't believe in his story. And if he would have taken the other deal, he would have made multiple millions of dollars now. And it's kind of one of those things that that's another inspirational story in itself. It's like, believe in yourself, you know, believe in the power of your story and who you are. It's like that, you know, that graffiti artist, David Cho, the Korean graffiti guy. So he painted Mm -hmm. the Facebook office, I think in like 2004, like Sean Parker got him. Cause I think he did stuff with like Jay-Z, like his album covers and he got him to paint graffiti in the Facebook office. And he told him the same thing. He was like, Hey, we'll give you 80 K in cash or you can take, you know, 50,000 shares. And then I think when they IPO in like 2012, it was worth like 200 million. And now he just like kind of hangs out. Like he still does paintings and like that, but he's known for like the guy who took that gamble too. So on the other side, kind of a story of the guy who did the other Wait, thing. Wait, so he ended up taking the, the 80,000 or the shares? He, he, ended up, he ended up taking the shares. Holy. So he's worth like 200 million plus now, basically. He's like the richest artist in the world. Holy cow, that's that's awesome. Yeah, he has a podcast called DVDASA.com. It's really, really crazy stuff. I wouldn't advise people watch it. Like, it's really like not safe for work. Uh, last movie, uh, for me, I had Ocean's Eleven. So I actually debated between the last movie. I had like Rounders, I think Forrest Gump, Jerry Maguire. And I ended up choosing Ocean's Eleven just because... 
when I watched it in high school, but when I watched it in college, I realized that to pull something like this off to steal like a casino, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes, like a lot of the planning, the improvisation, things like that. Like it comes to the same thing as business too. Like on the surface, you hear like, oh, this guy makes, you know, 100K a month selling, you know, shoes. But underneath that, there's a lot of work that went into it, you know, years of planning, years of hard work, sweat equity, all that stuff. And I think the movie kind of glazes over that, but on a deeper level, you see how kind of George Clooney in the movie and Black Brad Pitt, all these guys kind of pre-thought different situations and improvised against uh, this guy, uh, Terry, in the movie, which kind of funny that he's named after me. I really like the idea of how they, you know, they're outsmarting someone else. It's not just like a brute force, like, oh, okay, let's go in and rob these people it's like it's all about the details and the intelligence that they have and it was done in such style too that i think uh, it's like when you see a cool business that you're like why didn't i think of that right it's, it's kind of like the same feeling when you see this movie and you see some a business that's so well executed that does really well too all right so hope you guys enjoy this those are the nine movies that we think uh, every entrepreneur should take time to watch over the holiday seasons uh the matrix fight club office space the Road, The Pursuit of Happiness, Goodfellas, and Scarface, Shawshank Redemption, Rocky 1 to 4, and Ocean's 11. So, I think that's it for this week, and we'll catch up with you guys uh, next time. And if you're a store owner that manufactures your own brand, product, and inventory, check out the e commerce mafia where we have bi weekly mastermind calls and a forum called The Bunker to discuss anything. Uh, right now, we have a couple AMAs going on in there. Uh, Brad DeGraw from episode 72 is doing an Amazon QA. Uh, also, Michael Erickson. Uh, who does PPC consulting with clients that have budgets over 25k a month. So really cool stuff going on in there. Uh, if you're interested, check out uh, buildmyonlinestore.com and click the Join the Mafia button. So with that being said, uh, Travis will catch up with you next week. And yeah, take care. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.